little I got a little head cold here, so you're gonna get a lot of baritone in this intro. Hope you enjoy it. Don't you just love crossover episodes? I'm gonna let you know a little secret. Casey and Chris keep us locked in the basement at DFA headquarters, and we only get food if we do crossover episodes. So it's lunchtime. This is episode five, season three. And my guest today is Rocco from Critical Mass. He picked the original Ghostbusters movie, the one that launched the franchise from 1984. Check out him and Dan over at Critical Mass Podcast. Find them on Facebook at Critical Mass Podcast 69 and Instagram at Critical Mass Podcast. Or check out the description for a link. This is a big blockbuster movie, guys. So there's a lot to unpack with this one. Sit back and enjoy as without further ado, on with the show. So we are jumping right into this. Uh, Rocco, I am excited about this. Uh, so real excited. quick, before we get into what we're going to, like how the show is going to play out, because this is going to be a little different than my normal show. But before we get into that, let's talk about the movie you picked and why you picked it. So so as everybody knows at this point, uh, season three I challenged all the guests this season to pick a movie that they thought was going to land in the top 10. And to be honest with you, I'm really surprised with some of the responses I've gotten. Um, so my uh, episode one, I'll, I'll go through the episodes that have already aired to this point, um, but I won't do any ones in the future. Episode one was the past, which was not a strong kickoff to the season. <laughs> that movie no. is atrocious. It's and I'm going to go on the record and say it's probably the worst movie we've covered on the podcast so far. It made for a great episode, um, but the movie was was painful to watch. After that, it was Lawless mm. with um, Shia LaBeouf and uh, Tom Hardy. I Oh, no, I do remember that movie. Okay, i never the, seen the it, but now I know what it is. Yes, yes, yes. Then it was St. Vincent with Bill Murray. Bill Murray. That was a great movie. And Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. yeah who has, I love has that a movie. connection to the, to the Ghostbusters world. Um, and then in our first, um, is it really that bad episode? We had Captain <laughs> Lenny pick Waterworld, which I think if you're going to go with a, a big movie that, people think is bad but also has a cult following i mean that's the perfect one to do Waterworld does have a strong and tight following although yes. it's largely considered a, a bad movie yes yes it, it was um, i mean i liked it um for what it was i like that i'm the age that i am now when i finally saw that movie so i finally saw i i, I guess i saw it like in my early 30s and i'm in my mid 30s now and i had never seen it just because forever it was like that movie sucks right but like i was like i know the time period this movie came out and i know all the the hype behind it and that to me made it a good i actually really enjoyed the movie <laughs> there's there's only there, there's one scene in that movie that makes that movie classic and that is kevin costner doing a dolphin move out of the water it, it's just it's so picturesque i just want to get that that scene framed and put on my wall <laughs> um and then you with ghostbusters which i gotta say it, it's a I'm not going to go into what my thoughts are until the end of the show, but this is definitely a bold movie to pick. I mean, this has got a, a huge cult following, and we're going to get into yes. it in, in detail. So tell me, why did you pick Ghostbusters, and uh, and what is your connection with this movie? So um, uh, Ghostbusters, um, 
first of all, it came from a conversation that you and I had had because I said, if I'm going to convince you for a top 10 movie, I want to do Star Wars. And you're like, no, I promise that to somebody else or something along those lines you had mm-hmm. told me. But you're like, but you said specifically, and it was very specific how you were. You said, if it isn't Star Wars, what would be the next movie that you would choose? And I said, have you done Ghostbusters yet? And you were like, we're doing Ghostbusters. I mean, so- <laughs> it's, it's it's a great movie. It's such a, I, I'm not even going to wait till the end. Ghostbusters is such a great movie. Um, yes. I will say that this time around, I was really surprised. I, I hadn't sat down and watched the movie start to finish in quite a long time. Really? Yeah. Oh, so I there were some surprises the for me, but, um, but, but keep going. No, so and also like and I, I mentioned this um when we uh the critical mass episode which will drop tomorrow, which is a non <laughs> it doesn't matter now by the time you're listening to this. Um, yeah, so but, for, for the audience members, uh I just filmed Critical Mass yesterday in, in our time world. In your time world, if you listen to that episode when it aired, it's been about two or three months. <laughs> okay, there you go. Thank thank you for that. Um but it was another one of those movies. Like uh, when I was very young with my dad, he introduced me to movies and Goonies and Ghostbusters were two movies that for my dad were like, this is required reading. And I was like, no joke, like five or six. When I saw Ghostbusters the first time watching that again, I'm just like, first of all, this is PG. Holy crap. (laughs) And secondly, how was this ever allowed? I can't even tell you the the scenes that I was terrified of as a child. Like I still remember those scenes being like, even now as a grown ass man, I'm like, oh, that scene's coming. <laughs> like, so it's it's funny that you mentioned that it's PG. So it it is PG. It's PG for violence, sexual content, language, alcohol, and drug use. Which you automatically say, how the fuck is it PG? The movie's released June seventh, nineteen eighty four. The first PG-13 movie comes out July 1984, the following oh, month. This wow. has got to be one of the last like PG movies that, that, that it has to be PG. It has to be. It, it, if that's the timing, it's got to be. And my God, the I mean, this movie should definitely have been PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 84 is a great year for movies. And I think... The late, you know, really the mid to late 80s and most of the 90s is just a great, great, like 15 year span with some of the most phenomenal movies. So I'm, I'm looking at the June 7th release date for this. Other movies that were in June, we got Gremlins, Jesus. Conan, what? Bachelor Party, The Karate Kid, movies oh that God. are left over in theaters from May. We have 16 Candles, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Isn't this insane? It was a golden year. Right. This is a golden year, man. 1984 becomes the first time in film history where four films grossed over a hundred million dollars. Wow. What were the, can we, are we talking about the four films there? Are we going to talk about, I don't, I don't have the exact list here, but I got to imagine it's, it's going to be Ghostbusters for sure. It's probably 16 Indiana Indiana Jones. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe Gremlins or the Karate Kid. I don't think Gremlins got that high. I mean, it's got a might have been Karate Kid. Might have been Karate Kid, yeah. Um, but so the, let's go through the stats real quick. Uh, 1984 supernatural comedy Ghostbusters starring Dan Aykroyd. Now to this point, he's only really done the Blues Brothers movie. He was on SNL. Yeah, um, SNL. He did, he did Blues Brothers, and that was kind of it until Ghostbusters. After this, he does Spies Like Us. Um, 
It was a good in, movie. Yeah, insane, insane first few movies he did, which were you know Dragnet, Ghostbusters, oh, the, the Blues Brothers, Ghostbusters Two, and Spies Like Us, and then Coneheads. Like this man goes oh. on streak with his first few movies. Then yeah. we had Harold Ramis, who's done basically Stripes, and yep. does Ghostbusters Two. He does a few others after that, but that's really it. He's mostly behind the camera. Yes. It's a lot of directing. Sigourney Weaver, who oh. has only done Alien before this. She's a legend. She is a, a walking, talking legend, Sigourney Weaver. But it's just crazy. Like She was like the star of a badass sci-fi film, and now she's like the love interest in the Ghostbusters comedy. It's a... It's a that's got to be what sets her up to kind of have this versatile career because she's done oh, all sorts of stuff. She's th- that woman has range and it's incredible. And something that I can't stand is when people like see like a newer movie and they're like, oh, man, it's so good to see women that are like being badasses and, and not victims. And you're like, you're saying that now. Have you ever seen the aliens movies? Like, oh, man, it's so it's so great to see her take the lead on that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, seeing her in Ghostbusters, she's she's awesome. She's just an awesome character. So um the round out the Ghostbusters, we have Ernie Hudson, and we'll get into kind of him and how his history of this film is. But uh his next big role outside of the Ghostbusters, you know, movies was the crow in ninety four. So he doesn't oh, really he played do the a cop. Lot. Yeah. Doesn't really do a whole lot in his career. Um, and then obviously we have Bill Murray who has a total of 96 acting credits on IMDb and has gone on, it goes on to become sort of a cult figure uh, in, in movies and in pop culture uh, popping up at weddings. And, and he's got this kind of legendary status, I would say in the movie industry. Yes. Um, he was either beloved or hated and he is, is legend. His timing is legendary. I think, I think that's his biggest thing is he can say something that's very innocuous, but he will say it in a tone and at a moment that, and he does it in Ghostbusters so many times. Oh, it's great. Um, and, and he has a way of doing it that, that isn't repeated. That can't be repeated. Um, I feel like, and I know that they were rivals, but I feel like Chevy Chase is another one that's like that as well. And they were definite rivals because they were very similar to one another. Um, I've always preferred Bill Murray. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely adore the man. Um, and by the way, did you ever hear about the documentary or see the documentary about him uh, popping up in random places? I, I heard about it. it. It got it got pretty popular for a little while there. I didn't end up watching it, but I did hear about it. You should watch it. Um, my favorite, and it's very short, is someone was at a frat party having a crazy party, and he heard someone in the kitchen rummaging around, and he went into the kitchen, and he saw that the back door was open, and Bill Murray was making a sandwich in his kitchen in their frat house, and he just like waved and ate the sandwich and just walked out. And that was like the interview guy. That's what the documentary was. All these people with these stories. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, great. And I believe yeah. each and every one of them. And it, yes. if it was me, I would have happily let him have a sandwich and been on his way. It's great. He's magical. He's magical. <laughs> and then let's not forget uh, Rick Moranis, who yes. does, he's in Spaceballs uh, a few years later. And then obviously Ghostbusters too. Um, and then I don't know if you know the story about him, but he leaves Hollywood for a period of time. Hopefully he's coming back. I heard he's in Afterlife, but that hasn't been confirmed. When the, when the movie first broke and they were talking about it coming out, I think it was even before we got the, the trailer, um, 
it was when he was in Ryan Reynolds' um, cell phone commercial. Mm. That's when rumors were going around that he was in Aftermath. But then it got quiet and you didn't hear anything. You mean Afterlife? Afterlife, yeah. Is that what it's called? Afterlife, okay. Aftermath, something like that. I was like, wait, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the movie's runtime is 105 minutes. That's an hour and 45. It's got a budget of 35, or excuse me, 25 to 30 million, somewhere in that range. Box office. 295 million so we talk a lot in the cast about usually doubling your budget is a good point where the studio's happy this does 10 times its budget like this was a huge blockbuster people like this is a huge movie Uh, exactly Uh, but wait i have to i have to jump in here i think an unsung hero of this movie is annie potts as jamie potts she, dude, she was also Bo Peep in the Toy Story films. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, and she was absolutely fantastic as Janine. Um, just very good. That New York City, Long Island kind of accent and Ghostbusters. What do you want? <laughs> That's a good that. impression. That was a good thank impression. You, you. <laughs> so the original script had her character and um, I, uh, not. I keep I screw up all the character names. Egon? Is that how you pronounce Egon. it? Egon. Yep, Egon. Egon. Her and Egon's character um, were supposed to kind of have a little fling in the original script. A lot of that got cut out. You know, we'll we'll talk about. Uh, there's actually a lot of things in this movie that got cut out uh, due yeah. to time constraints. But um, and so producer is Ivan Reitman. Uh, it was distributed by Columbia Pictures, uh, directed by Ivan Reitman, and written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. So. All three of those guys involved in creating this movie, Bill Murray kind of comes on just as a normal actor. He gets hired to be a normal part of the of the cast like everybody else. But a lot of people think, you know, again, as legend goes on, that he helped create the Ghostbusters. He really didn't. He just got hired to be in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And from what I heard, there were a lot of issues where he just wouldn't show up um at all to like the set and they would just be like where is bill where is he and then he would show up and just be magic it would just be freaking magic yeah i mean that's kind of the reputation he has right like he won't sign a contract you know you just gotta trust that he'll be there on day one um he is notorious at least early on in his career for being a bit of a flake um but he he is who he is i guess um it's based on a screenplay written by Dan Aykroyd, which is actually based on his family's fascination with paranormal. Him yep. and uh, and John Belushi traveling through space and time battling supernatural threats. That was the original idea for the script. And it was set in the future. And the idea was that the Ghostbusters would be just like the firefighters and the cops and the ambulance service. They would just... You'd call him up, they'd come to your house, and they would catch the ghost and be him and Jim Belushi. Or John Belushi, excuse me. God, what not you... Jim. <laughs> I want to see this movie. I want to see this original script get made. I, I mean, I'm definitely interested. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch If it came out, I would watch it. I mean, yes, absolutely. There I'm just is... so glad we got what we got. Yo, Absolutely. Uh, the tagline for the movie, there, there was actually several taglines, especially as it got the re-releases and stuff. But the two most famous are, who are you going to call Ghostbusters and they ain't afraid of no ghost, which is a line from the same song. 
Uh, it's nominated for Oscars in the Best Visual Effects and mm. Best Music. It's nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture in a Comedy and Musical category, Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture in a Comedy or Musical category for Bill Murray, and Best Original Song in a Motion Picture for the Famous Theme Song. Uh, the song track is nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Album, and I mean, I don't think it won a lot of those stuff, but it definitely got nominated for a heck of a lot. Yeah, I, I just I didn't even know it was nominated, to be honest with you, because it just seems so goofy, so quirky, so ridiculous. But it's just uh, and the visual effects for that time period, like the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just wow. Yeah. So there's there's obviously so much around this movie. And typically what we would do is just kind of run through the the plot, you know, almost scene by scene, but I don't really think that's necessary here. I think that there's going to be a ton of scenes that maybe we want to talk about, um, not in any particular order, but I want to talk about all the the stuff surrounding this movie because there is so much out there and oh, yeah. so much history about it. Um, so, you know, just wherever the conversation takes you, man, let's, let's roll with it. The, the first thing I kind of want to talk about, we touched on a little earlier, was Ernie Hudson's relationship with the movie Ghostbusters. Ernie Hudson plays Winston. Yep. His, he's he's the fourth. Yeah, he's the fourth Ghostbuster. He kind of comes on about halfway through the movie, which was one thing that surprised me. Because, again, I hadn't seen the movie from start to finish in a long time. And I just, I, I knew he got hired on. But I always thought it happened like early, like as soon as they opened. It's really like halfway through the movie. It it is. It, it is. And that's something that always stuck with me, even as a young person. Like why like why is he so late like in the movie? Um I mean the way they did it, it kind of works. And I end up really I love his character. I love Winston, but I know there was a lot around that. I know that from what I've heard that he was not happy about that. And wasn't Eddie Murphy originally supposed to be him? Yeah, so this is what I found. Um, uh, first, let me read you this little article I got here. It says, Ernie Hudson went through approximately five auditions for the character. Uh, according to him, an early version of the script gave Winston a larger role as an Air Force demolitions expert with an elaborate backstory. Excited by the part, he agreed to the job for half his usual salary. Now... What happens is, is the original script is written for Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy turns it down to do Beverly Hills Cop. They get Ernie Hudson to sign on, but at this point, the studio is like, "Well, if it's not going to be, if it's not going to be Eddie Murphy, if it's not going to be another big um, SNL alum, then give Bill Murray more screen time." Mm. So the night before shooting begins, he's given a new script with a greatly reduced role. Reitman told him the studio wanted to expand Murray's part. Later on, he said he regretted the marginalization of his character from the original script and felt Ghostbusters did not did not improve his career as he had hoped or been promised. In a 2014 interview, he said, quote, I love the character and he's got some great lines, but I felt the guy was just kind of there. I'm very thankful that fans appreciate the Winston character, but it's always been a bit of a frustration. Kind of a love-hate thing for me, I guess. Uh, can I just say, uh, what a classy person. Um, what he, I think the, what he said was the best way he could have said that. Because I loved his character, and I, I'm glad that he can recognize the fact that people do genuinely love his character. But, you know, I think about the way he said that, and I say, you know what, he's right. 
I really think he's right. I do love the character, but I think he was very marginalized. And I think that at times it was he's just there. I mean, like he had like, Ray, next time someone asks you if you're a god, you say (laughs) yes. Like that line delivered by him in his bewilderment because he's the odd man out. We needed that. We needed the odd man out. But it's just sad that it it was like that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know. In retrospect, there's definitely some things that I think could have been done differently to improve upon that character. Um, but in retrospect, to be honest with you, I think there's a lot that could have been done to improve this movie. This movie is a little, a little bonkers uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but with that being said, I don't blame him for being a little upset about it. I, sure. Like you said, I do appreciate that he recognizes that it's not the fans' fault, you know. And his character goes on to be way has a way larger role in the animated. Uh, show yes which yep. also has a much larger following and kind of expands the ghostbusters universe in a way that the the second movie didn't um yep so, so yeah i mean good on him and hopefully you know i, I would love to see him come back in, in afterlife um but we'll see i guess i think it's confirmed I, I they confirmed all the originals except for harold ramus for obvious reasons he had right. scheduling conflicts um was that too soon <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's the critical mass coming that was the critical mass coming out of me right that there i'm great. sorry um no but I, I they've confirmed it they just haven't fully confirmed rick moranis and i don't think they fully confirmed sigourney weaver but they definitely Ooh. yeah they definitely confirmed um the 3 uh, Bill Murray be, and their action figures are already out. So that kind of spoiled that for the mm, three yeah. of them. They're all white haired, white haired and chunky in their Ghostbuster uniforms. <laughs> so one of the other big things I want to talk about, um, and it's kind of, it came to light, I think in the uh, Netflix show. I don't know if you watched, did you watch that? Yes. <clears throat> Netflix has a great series of like the movies that made us and they, they did yep. Ghostbusters on one of them. So you got a lot of cool information there, but the name Ghostbusters um, was not available to them up until really right before, right during shooting. In fact, yes. several scenes actually got shot twice um, mm-hmm. using the Ghostbusters name. And then I think there was another ghost breakers is I think what they were going to go with. Um, so the name Ghostbusters, the title Ghostbusters was already taken and a long legal battle ensued before the makers secured the rights. Initial shooting even had two takes of signs being put on outside of the firehouse, one saying Ghostbusters and one saying ghost breakers. Ultimately the filmmakers saw this as too much work to shoot everything twice and settled on their first choice, hoping the title would be cleared in time. Wow. Could you imagine? Yeah, dude. I, I And that show you brought up, uh, the the movies that made us, that w- when they were talking about shooting that scene with all the extras shouting, Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, he's like, you want me to shoot that again? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, like, we're not doing that. Like, right. it's wild. So you said you watched this again. What have, have you seen this regularly all the way through? Ghostbusters? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I own it. I'm mean, if people still have DVDs, I have the DVDs. Um, I I had all the toys as a kid. I watched the cartoon as a kid, um, and then I got my daughter. I I had her watch uh, Ghostbusters the first and second one, and um, I was like, some parts I was a little like, okay, or she'd ask me questions that I didn't want to answer. <laughs> nice. Um, but like, you know, um. I've watched this movie so many, the first one especially, so many times. I don't understand the hate the second one gets 
But anyway, the first one is I don't always either. I, I, I do, I, of course. But honestly, I think the two movies are very, very similar. They have the same kind of vibe. And oftentimes, I get them confused as to which one was the first one. Yeah, that that does happen. I um, I just think it's it's fun. You know, there's so much, there's so much fun. You know what I mean? Like well, I, somebody, somebody. I don't know if you know the story about the slime in the second one. Somebody really hates Bill Murray. Like he. Uh, he apparently only signed on for the second one. He initially wanted the name of the second one to be um, Ghostbusters The End or Ghostbusters The Finale or something like that so that he didn't have to do any more after that. And his one of his only demands, because he had slimed the first one. The, the, yeah. the slimer hits him and he gets slimed. Yeah. And he hated I'm, it. So one of so his funky. only demands was no slime in the second one. And the entire second one is based around pink slime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what's funny, too, is you saying that and one scene that made me laugh out loud and makes me laugh out loud every time is right at the end when the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man explodes mm. and all of them are getting up and they're covered in marshmallow and they're all shook. Right. Peter just walks for, from off camera, barely touched and everyone's like are you fi- are you okay he's like i'm fine <laughs> like but he's so dismissive of of what i'm fine yeah that <laughs> was a, that was a whole nothing. big thing on set i guess so they use like shaving cream for that yeah. and the true story they they said he uh reitman says this in one of his interviews he says that they had a 75 pound bag of shaving cream and they wanted to put him under, they wanted to put Bill Murray underneath it and just open it so it would dump on him. So it would look like that. And he was like, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. And they were like, no, it's not. It's, just, it's shaving cream. And he's like, but it's 75 pounds. It's yeah. like the whole feather and the stone thing. Like it's yeah, still 75 exactly. pounds. So they cut it in half and had an, another crewman underneath it. And he said, if he can't stand on his, if he can't stand on his feet, then I don't have to put any of this on me. And Reitman agreed, and you know, forty pounds dropping on top of you, the guy fell to the fell to the floor. Oh so that's why God. Bill Murray's character has no shaving cream, or well, pretty much no shaving cream on him. Yeah. In oh my God, that is a great story, and that's Isn't that insane. That's in, that's incredible. So you, we we talked about Slimer. I want to I want to touch on that a little bit because obviously, so he's no he's not called Slimer at any point in this movie. No. He doesn't pick up the name until the cartoon. Yeah. Um, and it was originally this. This ghost was supposed to be modeled after John Belushi. Yes, yes, that I knew, yeah. Which I don't understand. I mean, I get why they wanted to do that, but I don't see John Belushi in this at all. Do you? No, I don't. Um, I get it because, like, he he passed away and he was supposed to be part of it. And it'd be funny to bring him back as a ghost because he's dead. Um, and I guess they, he was a big slob. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't really know that. I don't know if that's right. true. And Slimer doesn't look like John Belushi at all. Yeah. So I don't I think don't... so. They said it was like after his character from animal house, which I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. I guess, um, it's the second highest grossing film of 84 behind Beverly Hills cop. So it looks like Eddie Murphy made the right decision there, yep. but it is the, it was the highest grossing comedy ever. Now it's not even in the top 50. Do you want to wow. take a guess at any of the movies in the top 10? And I, I will say this, this is the top 10 highest grossing comedies. A lot of these movies using the word comedies is a stretch. So keep that in mind. Okay. Go ahead. 
I, I'm going to say old school's on that list. Old school is not. I'm looking at the top 25. Wow. Old school is not even on the top 25. Of comedies. Comedies, yep. Oh, my God. Um, Jeez. Uh, Anchorman? Nope. What is going I know. on? Insane, right? Are you ready for this? Let's starting with what do you want me to start with? Let's start with ten. I don't want to do all. Yeah, 10, yeah. Let's do ten. Hi, mom. I've never even heard of that. Inside Out. Oh, is it a Pixar movie? The Secret Life of Pets, Shrek Two, Despicable Me Two, Despicable Me Three, to- Toy Story Three, Toy Story Four, Minions, and number one is Incredibles Two. Those are all Pixar films. What the fuck? I'm just going to say it. Those are all great movies, but wrong category. Number, I will say number 13 is Deadpool, which is spot okay. on. Great movie. That's Men fair. in Black That's 3 fair. is on here. This is ridiculous. This is out what of a stupid, What a stupid, stupid list. list. Stupidest list ever. Whoever <laughs> made that list, you're stupid. Well, <laughs> we're trying to. I'm trying to pitch this to get into your top 10. It's true. That's right. That's, that was a dumb statement. We should make our own list, of course. We're um, doing that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we got to touch on the ghost sex scene. What the fuck? I don't remember that scene being in it when I watched it as a kid. The ghost sex scene? Oh, yes. Dan Aykroyd. He, yeah. has, he has a dream that yes. he is in a, uh, I don't know, Napoleon like a type medieval, outfit? Not medieval. Um, yeah. like yeah, He's in a castle, but he's in like a Napoleon like Bonaparte outfit. And yeah. a, a female, a very attractive female ghost goes down on him. And that's it. It's never talked about. Never referenced again. again. It's it's during the montage of all the right. jobs they were getting. What the hell? Yeah, I uh, that scene was one that my daughter had a question about, and I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, she's helping him get changed, and he's and he's very appreciative of that. And she goes, "Oh, okay." And she dropped it, and I was like, "All right, cool. We don't need to revisit this again." But anyway, yeah, <laughs> Never I mean, address this again. I think you said that this movie is bonkers, and I think this is definitely one of those scenes that adds to that. Um, but I also think, like in my mind, because I overanalyze things because I've got a lot of problems, um, <laughs> is that they're really showing how busy they are and how tired they are, where his job and his his repressed sexual urges that he can't, because they're so busy. So they're so right. busy, he hasn't even had time to jerk off. And what's he do all the time? He's with ghosts. So now he's having a, a and that's the Freud in me right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I get you. So, um... From the far reaches of the galaxy to an internet location near you, we're don'tforgetatowel.com, your daily source for geeky pop culture news, reviews, interviews, and so much more. So as you're hitchhiking your way through the universe, don't forget to travel safe, and don't forget a towel. Need more context on your favorite movie? Is Obama. Obama, okay. Senator Obama. Ever wonder why they did or didn't do that thing or include that scene? This is prime. Like, this is perfect this is quality entertainment. Check out Gutsy Media Podcast as my friends and I take a deep dive into everything from blockbusters to indie films. The weakest apple cider bitch beers. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, 
Instagram, and YouTube. That's Gutsy Media Podcast for everything movies. Right. Yeah, no, I get you. So, um, the, the like, I, like I mentioned before, there's a lot of stuff that was cut out of this of this movie. There was a whole uh, sub story that was supposed to happen where Dan Aykroyd's character has a ghost love interest, and he meets the ghost love interest as part of them getting rid of ghosts from old like World War, not World War, uh, like Civil War uh, forts and stuff. So this scene is supposed to be a scene from that storyline. Well, they they had to trim the movie down, so they cut out everything, but they, for whatever reason, found this scene so hilarious, they left it in. It, uh, it One, it's not that funny. Two, it makes no sense with nothing else around it. Yeah, I, I never... Uh, wow, that that changes the context of that scene from what I said. <laughs> Like I'm talking about me really hoping for the best there. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see like an uncut version. Do you think it's like a, like a, I know star Wars every five years releases a new cut with 10 seconds more film. Do you think, do they, do they have multiple versions of ghostbusters? They've got to, right? I, I mean, not that I've ever heard of, I've honestly never heard of a director's cut or anything of ghostbusters. Like an extended cut or something. Yeah, I don't weird. think it exists. I want it to, but I don't think it exists. I would I would say that uh, uh, there was a VHS that was released in in eighty five nineteen eighty five seventy nine ninety five is what the VHS of Ghostbusters went on sale in in, in nine eighty five that's insane yeah dude that's that's wild I didn't even now, pay that much for the DVD <laughs> now you see somebody with a VHS and you think they're crazy like you must be insane that's yeah. Insane. I recently hooked up a VCR for someone so they could use VHS tapes that they had. Did you really? Yeah. Dan, yeah, Dan we're f- going to get you a DVD player for Christmas, buddy. No, it wasn't Dan. I had to do it for someone. <laughs> I love how you went to Dan, though. <laughs> like, I just assumed. It just, no, my mother-in-law, um, she wanted to watch some old VHS tapes, and I was like, uh, I'll try. <laughs> and I, I'm not really sure how this works anymore. I got, I got it to work, though. So Wow. That's impressive, man. Thank you. Uh, okay, but so anyway. a couple other the big stories that come out of this. Let's talk about why it's taken so long to get a third film. I got tons of information on this and some interesting stuff that I found out. So shout out to Screen Rant, not an affiliate of ours at all, but they got a great article on why it's taken so long to get a Ghostbusters 3. So um, obviously, like we had mentioned before, Bill Murray does not want to do any sequels. And the way the movie is set up in 1984, which you would never, ever, 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 ever see now, is the actors, not only the main cast, received a percent of the gross from the film, which is insane. Bill Murray's estimated to have gotten between 20 and $30 million off of this, this film by itself. In addition to that, they also got like creative rights. They, they basically, the four of them owned the rights to the Ghostbusters. So wow. any sort of, you know, new films, marketing, you know, licensing, it all had to go through them. All four so of them. Ernie Hudson too. Yep. No, well, I don't know. Um, it wasn't Ernie, wasn't Ernie Hudson. It was um, that, Ivan. That, yeah. Ivan Reitman. Yeah, screwed out everything. Ivan, uh, Ramos, Aykroyd, and Murray. <clears throat> so, Aykroyd pursues a sequel 
um, up until the 2010 or so, where he ends up doing, they end up doing the video game. So we get the Ghostbusters video game. It's Ugh. released in 2009. It features narrative contributions from Ramus and and Murray. And in fact, this is what kind of spurs them talking about possibly doing a film in the future. Yeah. Um, obviously, Murray and Ramos Ramus don't get along at this point. Yeah, they and, weren't speaking. Right. And we'll talk about that next because that's a huge reason why this didn't get made also. Um, but the, they had this whole idea so that the video game comes out and for all intent and purposes, they say this is basically what the sequel would have been. This is kind of what the ideas we had um, following Ramos's death in 2014. Reitman is determined we're, we're done. We're, we're going to make this happen. So he convinces all of them to sell the rights to Columbia. Now, they, they were the producers of the original film. He spent two weeks trying to convince Murray. He gets him gets him to do it. Um, and they are, are hell-bent on making some sort of ghost core, like a, a, um, some sort of Ghostbusters franchise. So they, they greenlit the remake with the all-female cast. It doesn't go well. That's see, can I I want to talk about the all female one for a second. Can can we just take a, a minute Absolutely. or two? Um I went to the theater for this opening night um because I'm such a Ghostbusters fan and I love that cast of ladies. I love that cast. Um I enjoyed the movie. It was not a Ghostbusters movie. If you're following what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like to yeah. me that 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 was a really funny movie. I enjoyed that movie. I own that movie. It's uh, it's it's great. Um, I laughed in the theater, but I also the entire time was just like, this isn't Ghostbusters. You know what I right. mean? Right, and I I agree with you 100. percent I think that that's the problem with the movie. I think you have this 300 pound gorilla in the room that is the Ghostbusters. The you know the first two movies and the and the third movie that we've been waiting you know three decades for. And yeah, and you give us again, I'm with you a good movie. Love the cast. I love each and every one of those ladies. And I think the movie's good, but looking at it as a Ghostbusters property, it's, it's not, it doesn't live up to that sort of, I mean, we're talking about a movie that did 10 times its budget. This is a block, but this is a mammoth thing to be, to be living in the shadows of. So I don't blame them for not hitting the ball out of the park. I blame the studios for thinking that it was going to be possible. I yeah. think the closest they're going to get is is a third movie. You have to have a movie that's going to acknowledge what has happened. You know, you you can't you can't ask the audience that's a fan of this franchise, okay, ignore everything you love, we're going to start fresh. That's stupid. But I ha- I have to say this though is what I appreciate about it is and I'm sure we're going to talk more about it later, so I'm just going to kind of tickle it is uh I, love that, <laughs> I know you do. Um is that I was so waiting for this that when I saw the trailer with Paul Rudd and the new movie, I visibly wept. I wept. <laughs> I mean, like tears, that scene where Acto one whips around the corner and the chair, the gunner chair pops out. Yeah. And she man. just starts firing off. I'm just like, I do tears streaming down my face, just seeing Acto one. And when you put together, you know, who her grandfather is and everything, um, I already know I dude, I'm I've guessed the plot of this movie and I don't even care. 
like, like it's I'm gonna be great mad. i think paul rudd is such a, a perfect person to put in this movie and when i saw like i i thoroughly enjoyed the glimpses of the ecto one and all that stuff but for me it was one of the most recent trailers where we got to see the little marshmallows and yes. we get to see zool chase him through the department store i'm like this well, is insane i'm i'm ecstatic for this well i hope it makes yeah, sense though yeah, it, it, well, uh, can do you want me to say what my guess is? Do you care, or should I just no, not? go for it. Go for it. Let's get it, let's get it on the record right now. What is your guess? On the record, I am guessing that Harold Ramis' character, Egon, after the events of New York City, does retire of, from the Ghostbusters and continues his research in Zool because he thinks, or Gozer, because he thinks Gozer is going to come back. So he actually finds a portal to Gozer in the middle of nowhere buys a house out there and studies this until his untimely death. And now he leaves the house to his grandchildren as well as Gozer's coming back. And I think that there's going to be a a really end game type of battle, but with the next generation and finally she's going to take care. She's going to end grandpa's work. And I think that that's what, the whole, I mean, Paul Rudd specifically says, do you remember what happened in New York City in 1984? He mm-hmm. says that flat out. Um, you've got the imagery when they're going down that like elevator thing that mm-hmm. looks like a lot of Hittite stuff, like Gozer and Hittite, big in Sumeria. Gozer, Gozer's huge in Sumeria. Huge. <laughs> huge. Um, but like, and then you see the the hellhound, Zul, that you just said, you know, uh, chasing Paul Rudd. And to me, that all lines up. If I'm wrong, I don't care. If I'm right, I'm just I'm going to be just as happy. <laughs> well, Bill Murray, if you're listening, uh, and Rocco got it right, you owe him a poppin. I want you to stop by Rocco's house and make a sandwich. I would love it. I don't even care. I just take pictures of him while he made a sandwich. <laughs> That's all I would do. I, I'll leave him alone. <laughs> so. According to Screen Rant, by by 2013, Ivan Reitman was set to return as director of a third movie, and he even pitched it to Sony on a script called Ghostbusters Alive Again. Written by Eaton Cohen, who does Holmes and Watson, uh, this draft once again featured Vankman quickly dying and becoming a ghost, while a group of Columbia students end up taking the Ghostbusters mantle. Vankman would have had a son named Chris... With Charlie Day and Jesse Eisenberg in line to play the role, Zach Galifianakis, Rebel Wilson, and Jonah Hill were being considered for the rest of the team, and Sasha Baron Cohen being eyed for the villain duties. Development was going well on this version until Harold, until Harold Ramis became ill and sadly passed away in 2014. Reitman decided to step down following this as he felt he couldn't make a new sequel without the original four team members. What? Yes, and that lends credence more to this movie because technically they are doing it with Harold Ramis. They're just doing it with his memory. So he will be in this movie. Can can we just talk about the possibilities of oh, Charlie Day, Zach Galifianakis, Charlie Day, the Jonah Hills? I don't know about yeah. Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Rebel Wilson would have been great. Sasha Baron Cohen is the villain. That would have been awesome. Yeah. I, I, w- I want to see this movie. I do want to see this movie. Like, I wish they would have made this. Yeah. Like, Bill Murray is the ghost. That would be funny, especially after seeing him in Zombieland, um, <laughs> you know, with what he did there. Hell, do you have right. any regrets? Garfield. 
<laughs> you know, and, such a great line because we all yeah, get that. Everyone, everyone that's ever seen it. Um, but no, I, I that sounds great, and I love Charlie Day. I'm a huge Charlie Day fan. Um, that would have been amazing. Yeah, I think he's hilarious. Um, so let's let's talk about it then. I mean, Mar- Murray and Ramus, they they're best friends at this point. They they're truly like best friends. They've worked together a ton of times. They're on Stripes. They did Ghostbusters. They do Ghostbusters 2. And they do Groundhog Day in 93. A classic. So this is the height of Bill Murray's career, really. This is where he is the the most wanted man. And listen, it it gets to everybody, right? It's going to get to everybody's head. I don't care who you are. When people are basically telling you that everything you touch is gold... You're going to start valuing your time a little bit more and you're going to start being a little more condescending to people. And by all reports, Murray is an absolute pain on set and, and the two of them fight and they have words. And after the movie wraps, Murray refuses to ever work with Ramus again and they don't talk. So keep in mind, he is the godfather to Ramus's daughter. And they've been friends for over 15 years. They don't speak again for 21 years. During this time, Murray refuses to discuss Ramus, while Ramus insisted that he'd repeatedly had dreams about the pair becoming friends again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's so sad. That's just so, so, so sad um, to hear that. It really is. So starting in 2010, Ramus gets sick. And 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 makes public his autoimmune disease. Murray's brother convinces him to go visit Ramus on his deathbed in 2014. I don't know if you know the story about this, but Ramus's daughter uh, recounts the story afterwards that Murray more or less lands in Ramus's hometown, has no idea where he lives, goes to the local police station, and says, "I'm Bill Murray, and I'm here to see." Um. Harold Ramis. Harold Harold Ramis. So he gets a police escort to Harold Ramis's house, <laughs> and <laughs> which sounds just like Murray. Uh, Ramis at this point has lost most of his ability to speak, but the two sit together chatting. Murray doing most of the talking, obviously, for hours. When Ramis finally succumbed to his illness in February of 2014, Mar- Murray had this to say: "Harold Ramis and I together." Did the National Lampoon's show Off-Broadway, Meatballs, Stripes, Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, and Groundhog's Day. He earned his keep on this planet, and God bless him. He then added a heartwarming eulogy at the Academy Awards just a few weeks later. Wow. Wow. That's I mean, incredible. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And it, what's sad is, listen, I am not somebody who will always take the higher ground. Um, but I will say uh, in my defense that since I've, since growing into adulthood and especially since having kids, you, you learn to let go of some of the stuff that's just not important. And I don't know what took place on the set. I don't know what Murray went through. Maybe he, he truly felt wronged in, in some horrible way, but to go 21 years without talking to somebody, um, especially somebody you were that close to, that's, that's sad to hear. It is. And especially when you made such magic together. I mean, Caddyshack, Groundhog's Day, Stripes, Ghostbusters. I mean, we're not talking about, 
indie films that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> We're talking about some of the c- most classic comedies that are, and these are all, <clears throat> I call them required reading. These are all required reading, these movies. <laughs> like, as my children get older, like, my son's two now, but once he starts getting to, like, my daughter's age, like, seven, eight years old, like, I'm slowly doing with my daughter, it's like, okay, sit down, you're watching Caddyshack with me. Like, I'll explain Night some things. I won't explain other things, but like we're doing this. It's required reading. And then to know that they just didn't speak for so long. I think Bill Murray did the right thing though, by going to him and then I think delivering the eulogy and then another um thing at the Academy Awards. I I think that that shows a lot of class and humility. Um because you could have been like, fuck that guy. We didn't talk for years, fuck him. But he didn't. Yeah, I I think he did the right thing. I won't go as far as saying that I think it was classy. I think I think it was the right thing to do. To me, there's no other option. I think you should have taken the high ground earlier, and that's something that he'll have to live sure. with. Sure, it, it is what it is. Um, the the effects of this movie are are so far reaching. Um, dedicated fan following, the success of Ghostbusters launched a multi billion dollar uh, media franchise. This includes popular animated television series. The Real Ghostbusters in 1986, a sequel series, Extreme Ghostbusters in 1997, uh, video games, board games, comic books, clothing, music, haunted attractions. Ghostbusters was followed in 1989 by Ghostbusters 2, which fared well less um, financially and critically. Uh, attempts to develop a second sequel paused following Remus's death in 2014. In 2016, we got the reboot, also called Ghostbusters which came with mixed reviews and then a second sequel in uh, to the 1984 film Ghostbusters Afterlife is scheduled for release in 2021. I also want to talk about real quick in 2015 it was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress in the National Film Registry which is a huge deal. I mean yes. you talk about the number of movies that come out every year it's in the thousands and oh, yeah. probably probably more than that. Um but Every every year, Library of Congress selects, I want to say it's like a dozen, that they're going to preserve, meaning that they are going to make sure a copy of that lasts as long as humanly possible. And they selected the Ghostbusters. That's that's huge. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's <laughs> – I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, the movie – it's a comedy. It's uh, a tongue-in-cheek love story, it, you know, because it's not a real love story at all by any means. But it's more that <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, like you know. And then she was out of my life, and I left, like <laughs> just like the the ridiculous, the ridiculousness of his pursuits. I'll go to her apartment and check her out. I'll check out her apartment. Um, but anyway, cats like, and dogs living together mass hysteria um but again like we're doing it right now and we're laughing and i think that that's and that's important and that needs to be preserved so um there's a, there's a couple things that i i found out in my research that i really want to tell you and, and the audience because i think there's just great hilarious little antidotes um when they were writing the script a ramus character he decided that they were ramus's character was going to be the brains Aykroyd's character was going to be the heart and murray's character was going to be the mouth and I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly how they are. Yeah, that's exactly it. Comes comes across perfectly. Other other actors considered for roles. Here we go. The leading roles, largely largely believed to be a backup to Bill Murray if he didn't show up, was going to be Michael Keaton, Chevy Chase, Tom Hanks, 
Robin Williams, Steve Gutenberg, uh, Richard Pryor, Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and Jeff Goldblum. Now, I want to preface that by saying that usually when movies reach legendary status and as years go on, every actor and their mom comes out of the woodwork and says, oh, I was considered for that role or I was offered that role. Yeah, always. it's not always true. So that's a long list. Let's take that with a grain of salt. But some of those people, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, uh, Ghostbusters with Robin Williams. Oh, my God. I don't even know how Oh, Robin Williams. I mean, just that fast talking, wild. Uh, oh, man. It'd be insane. Or John Lithgow. I think he'd be a good uh, like scientist type in, in a, a Ghostbusters role. Yeah, I could see that. Especially, he was much younger in that in that moment. I think I just keep thinking of him from the show Dexter. If you ever seen that, uh, I oh, always yeah. have that in my head. <laughs> He's a great actor. If you watch any of his interviews, I mean, he was classically trained. His father was in the theater for a really long time, and. He's good in comedy roles, but if you if you really see him in like a good dramatic role, he's a phenomenal actor. Like he's he's arguably one of the best actors of our generation, I think. Absolutely. You know, uh, just a few years ago, he was in Rochester shooting uh, movie scenes at the Big M and Gates. Oh, wow. Yeah, they shut the whole thing down. It was on the news um, like you could you had no access and there were just camera crews and everything, and they How did shot. I not know about this? Holy shit! Yeah, they shot a whole bunch of scenes. I don't remember what the movie was, um, but they shot a whole bunch of grocery store scenes <laughs> at the. I guess the Big M in Gates really uh, is it like the only Big M in the world now. <laughs> might be. Yeah, there's only one left alive, and we got to go to that one. But people are really they're loyal to that store. But anyway, yeah, John Lithgow was here. It was pretty wild. Um, other actors considered for the role of Dana, apparently Daryl Hannah and Julia Roberts both auditioned for it. Um, I, I could see Julia Roberts. I don't know about Daryl Hannah. I was going to say the exact same thing. John Candy was offered the role as the mayor, um, but he had some pretty unique takes on it. He wanted to do it with a German accent and thought the mayor should have like two bloodhounds. And when uh, Reitman said, you know, that's not the direction they were going to go. He turned the role down um, and they ended up getting the, the guy that they did. I think that guy served his purpose well for what you needed in that role. Um, yeah, he's he, not much of a role. Yeah, I think, though, that you needed like the bureaucrat because I, I think uh, what's uh, Bill Murray, Pete Vankman had the best. If you're right, but if we're right, you've <laughs> saved the lives of millions of registered voters <laughs> instead, instead of people. He says registered voters. And then the way his, that character's face turns the mayor, I'm like, Oh man, like that guy was perfect. I think Got just him. for that scene. Um, uh, Paul Rubin, who, uh, famously plays Wee, was originally yep. intended to play, uh, Gozer. There's going to be more of a really? business like, yeah, he's going to make it more of a business like, you know, devil looking demon, but passed on the role and later changed to more of a, a dramatist look. Um, they wanted to, uh, they were inspired by David Bowie for the look of Gozer. In the yeah. Final. So I could, I could I totally see that. see that. Uh, in developing the Marshmallow Man, he wanted a combination of the Michelin Man and the Pillsbury Doughboy. Perfect. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. <laughs> Um, and then just a few other uh, funny things I thought Lewis who plays the key master also gets locked out of his apartment several times in the movie 
Yes, that's incredible. That, that is, is wildly, it's wonderful. And what I love is that um, she was the gatekeeper and he was the key master. And as a child, that went right over my head. Right. And then as an adult, like, okay, so they have sex. Right. <laughs> like, just insane. They have, yeah, they have to have sex in order to open this portal for Gozer to come through. And like, as a kid, I was like, okay, so he's got a key and she has the gate. And then they turn the key and Gozer comes through. I get it. Like, as a kid. And then, like, as an adult, I'm like, they fuck. What's, <laughs> like, what's crazy is that in the, in the second movie, I always assumed that her and Bill Murray had the baby. That's somebody else's kid. Bill Murray. Does, that's not Bill Murray's kid in that second movie. No, it's no, it's not. It's absolutely not. Um, so what they, they're like, they're basically like dating at this point and then they, they break up and then they get back together. And well, the meantime, she's a kid. Do you want me to tell you? This is insane. Do you want me yeah, to tell we, you? We just got to do it. We got to do the second one. We just got to do the second one. Well, so in Ghostbusters two, um, she, they actually have a whole conversation where she's like, you know, it was fun in the beginning. You were a ghostbuster and I was doing my thing. And then when you started referring me, referring to me as the old ball and chain, <laughs> then I, I just wanted out and she left and met some other dude who got her pregnant and then he didn't stick around. But what's important there is that Bill Murray has a scene where he's holding the baby Oscar, which is just a terrible name for a baby. Horrible. But anyway, so. He's holding the baby and he's like, oh, look at him. He's a coconut. And <laughs> I, I all I when I had my daughter, my first child, I always said that that was going to be one. The first thing I say to my kids when I held my daughter for the very first time, I go, look at her. She's a coconut. And <laughs> it's the first thing I ever said to my daughter. <laughs> I actually That's remember crazy. it. <laughs> um, their, their pitch to Columbia, they had one minute to give a pitch to the Columbia executives, and all he said was, ghost janitors in New York City. And they said, sold. How much do you need? And wow. he, uh, at that point, only done stripes, which cost $10 million. So he said, uh, $30 million. Figured three times as much as stripes. And that's, he's like, cool, go make your movie. Wow. Insane. The, 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 how this movie got made, this movie would never get made today. Never. No. No, no, no. And then the last piece of information, even though it is like it, it is big, right? Well, that's because it's got a franchise behind <laughs> of it. Of course, of course. Uh, the last piece of information I uncovered, which I thought was perfect, was what Ivan Reitman was doing prior to Ghostbusters in 1982. Reitman is working alongside others planning their next film. Okay, and this is when Aykroyd shows up gives him the script for Ghostbusters, and he leaves the project he's on to do Ghostbusters. They had just commissioned a novel to be made into a movie. That novel was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> what? Isn't that crazy? They were Wait, they were working on the movie? They, to the... They, they were working on taking... Now, not only Reitman. Only Reitman was attached to that project. And he was all it says that he was working alongside other people to convert the the novel into a movie. When Aykroyd shows up and says, "I got this thing I'm working on," and he was like, "Cool, sold. I'm in with you." Wow, that's wild. That is, I, I never, I did not know that. I want to see Ivan Reitman's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Absolutely, I want to see. I, I love seeing anything that Ivan Reitman has done, and I love the fact that his son, by the way, is doing Afterlife. I think that that's very important. Yeah, I think I think that's a nice nice homage. I mean, I hope 
honestly, I hope he's a good director because it'd be pretty shitty if he wasn't. And then this movie turns out like crap. Um, but if he is a good director, then it's nice homage and it's going to work out good. But uh, without further ado, let's get into our questions. Not that they're yes. really necessary in this case. Fair enough. All right. So we, as I said before, we've developed three questions. It has been backbreaking to have to come up with new ones every season. I mean, I'm really working my kids' fingers to the bone. But just, just, and, and remember that when you when you hear these Those um, little tax shelters. <laughs> so typically, <laughs> we use these three questions to determine if the movie that we're covering is a good movie. Um, spoilers, it is. So, um, question number one, does the progress and rhythm of the movie fit? Um, yes, I say a lot. Um, I love a good eighties montage, (laughs) Um, which (laughs) the montage is so underrated. It, it it really is. And it shows like, you know, what, what I think what's important is that we get their first call and we get the whole call. Mm -hmm. So we know how a call goes from beginning to end. And then we don't really see a full call ever again, the entire movie. We just get the (laughs) montage of them getting the call. So now as the, as the person watching, you can understand what these calls entail, you know, job too big, no fee too, (laughs) too big. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I just, I think, yes, the progression of the characters, the progression of the story was right on. So, I I got to split hairs on this question. In oh, my boy. opinion, in my opinion, the the progress and the rhythm of the movie is is bonkers, okay? If I'm watching this movie without knowing the blockbuster that it is and the legacy that it leaves behind it. If I'm just watching this movie as a first timer, I'm seeing a bunch of scientists discover for the first time that ghosts exist. They even have a whole conversation. Like, can you imagine we just had an interaction? Like this is crazy. And their first thought is to develop a 1-800 number that people can call to rid themselves of ghosts that up until this point, they had no proof were real. It's it's insane. It's an insane it, it concept for a movie. So to yeah. me, that progress and rhythm is 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 bonkers. But as I, as I said, I'm going to split hairs here because the question says, does it fit? And for whatever freaking reason it does. Yeah, it for does. whatever reason... In this movie, you su- you suspend belief and you go, yeah, of course. Of course well, they make a Ghostbusters and rent out an old firehouse and drive around New York City in an ambulance that looks like a hearse. Of course they do. But what? But it's so American. We just <laughs> discovered this. How can we use it to make money? How can we monetize it? <laughs> right. Everyone has three mortgages on their house nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> like, like and then the crushing debt of being an American. I really think that it feel you feel that. <laughs> I love I love how they mortgage his house just to get some space to do this. Why don't you just do it in his house? Or even better, you mortgage his house, but then you put it like a full arcade on the second floor. Did you see that in the background? There's like a full yes. arcade. Like what you didn't have to buy that stuff. 
Yeah, exactly. Like none of that is absolutely necessary at all. But then it shows how much money they're making, how successful they're becoming. And I like when they do that. Like they're not just like, and then they became so successful. Like you see the things in the background, you'd be like, okay, so these guys are making money right now. But yeah, I think, dude, I really think the pacing works for this movie. It it just does. Um, Question number two What, if any, part of the film speaks to you and why? Hmm. Need more context on your favorite movie? Is Obama. Obama. As okay. Senator Obama. Ever wonder why they did or didn't do that thing or include that scene? This is prime. Like, this is perfect this is quality entertainment. Check out Gutsy Media Podcast as my friends and I take a deep dive into everything from blockbusters to indie films. The weakest apple cider bitch beers. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. That's Gutsy Media Podcast for everything movies. From the far reaches of the galaxy to an internet location near you, we're Don'tForgetATowel.com, your daily source for geeky pop culture news, reviews, interviews, and so much more. So as you're hitchhiking your way through the universe, don't forget to travel safe, and don't forget a towel. Um, I remember the scene that it's probably i think it's the most badass scene they all pretty much know they're gonna die and he's like stick heat him up you know let's show this bit let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown and i just something about bill murray saying that last part like let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown i remember being a kid and just being like yeah get him and but like you know they all know that they're gonna die you know, and they're kind of saying their goodbyes to each other. Like, it's been a pleasure working with you. Like, I don't know why that scene spoke to me, but you, you get these these four idiots, really. Right. They're four idiots. The entire fate of our of our universe is now in their hands. And they actually choose to do the selfless thing. Mm-hmm. And And I think that that really spoke to me in this movie. Yeah, well said. I mean, for me, what spoke to me about Ghostbusters is really the friendship that's there. Um, you know, we I, I touched on it earlier about how they were trying to write the characters as being like the heart, the brains, and the, and the mouth. And that sort of approach, I think what you get here is you get four very realistic people, realistic characters. They're, they're not those cookie cutter like okay we got to have the jock and then we got to have the smart girl and then we got to have the good looking girl you know they're not cookie cutter they're real humans and they yes. feel very real and the fact that they get along despite their differences in a very real manner i mean they don't have conversations that are like oh okay then while you go to the gym i'm gonna go read my science book like stupid shit like that that you see in movies now they're just real people, and and that speaks to you, I think, a lot, that you can relate to them despite the crazy circumstance they're in because they feel so real. Exactly, exactly. And how many times have we been Winston Zedmore sitting there being – people asking you questions like, if it has a steady paycheck – I believe whatever you want me to believe. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and then, like, the two, like, they're just like, uh, you're hired. Welcome to the team. <laughs> like, like, you know, I think that that also, like, just like you said, they're real. They're humans. They're mm-hmm. human beings. And I genuinely think that Peter's character is how a lot of cynical people would be when they finally see a ghost for the first time. Like, hello. 
hi, like in the in the beginning, like well, right. you know, where are you from? You know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. I, it really felt very, very real. And then you know, they're these big brave Ghostbusters. What do they do the first time they see a ghost? They run. Right. screaming out of the library. We'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just, I think that there's, there's a, there's a lot of reality to that. I, I love the way you said that. Yeah. Like I definitely vibe with that. And then question number three, bringing it back from season two, what is the most important sequence in the movie? Oh, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> Um, uh, I think character wise, the most important scene is when Dana, and I think it's telling of Peter's true character and I'm going to get a little deep here. So please, you know, allow it strapped in. All right. So he goes to Dana's apartment and there is no Dana, only Zool. And she's DTF. Like she's super DTF, super DTF. And he is, you know, she's like, are the first, I love the first scene. Are you the key master? <laughs> no. And she just slams the door and then he just knocks on it again. And then she exactly the same way. Are you the key master? Yeah, no, but, and then he slides in, but I'm a friend of his. <laughs> in that moment, if he was the scumbag that he portrayed himself to be, he could have said, I'm the key master. He could have done any number of sexual things with her. And he was worried. And he, what does he do? He calls Egon. Uh, guys, she just floated like six feet off. They're three yeah. feet off the bed. I think the exact line is something along the lines of, uh, I like a girl who sleeps above her. <laughs> she she sleeps above her covers. Six feet above, her, above covers. her covers. Yeah, yes. That and like when she's like, there is no Dana. Only my, what a lovely singing voice you have. <laughs> just like I mean, those she lines. says, I want you inside of me. It sounds like there's enough people inside there already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the fact that that was his... I think that that told us everything we needed to know about the character, that he plays this scumbag. When it comes down to it, he is a an honorable dude who, all right, like something's fucked up is going on and we're going to need to save the day here. And I think to me, for Peter's character, that was the most important scene in the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I tend to take this question pretty literally in most cases where I, I try to think of the scene that kind of sets off the whole movie. Um, but in this case, I don't think it's the most important sequence of the movie. And the reason for that is because I think this huge ending, I think the huge marshmallow man, which is, which is a carryover from the original, original script, um, it, in the original script, it appears like 20 minutes in and they changed it. So that it would be the final, final boss, if you will. But yeah, I think seeing them redeem themselves and defend New York city and, you know, have this moment that binds them and that they're willing to give up their lives for what the, for, that is such an important sequence and such a setup for, you know, the future second film and hopefully leading into the third film, um, or I guess the re second film. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just, I'm, I, I'm, that's, that to me is one of the most important sequences. It's, it's such a beautifully well done sequence with, with the whole thing. I, I, I mean, I agree that entire, I mean, I, and I had already talked about it too. And I think right. bo both of us said it, 
And I think, yes, uh, they're, uh, again, them being the last line of defense between us and <laughs> this this interdimensional being that wants to kill all of us are these four morons. And and I think that, yeah, I, I, I do. I love that scene. I do. So so let's get let's get the official number on a scale of one to ten, one being horrible and ten being a masterpiece. What are you rating the movie? I give the first Ghostbusters film a ten out of ten, and I don't wow. give those I don't give those lightly. That's why it is in my top ten list of movies of all time. Uh, so here's what I'll say: I I love I love this movie. It's a it's a classic movie. I feel like it is definitely a must watch. Um, I will say that having watched it all the way through for the first time in quite a long time, it didn't hold the full legendary status in my head. I give it a 7.5, which is pretty high. I'm, I'm a hard grader. Um, and like I said, I still have a lot of respect for it. I, I definitely still think it's a must watch. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I think, I think that, that there's a bias too, that I grew up with this movie had all the toys, you know, uh, and just anytime it's on, like, you know, it's a TNT movie or it's a USA movie. Oh, like, for yeah, so sure. I'm sitting down watching this. This is that's yeah. I've definitely I've seen I've seen this movie in clips like 17 times. I mean, because you like you catch it on and then you watch it for 20 minutes and something you know you go in the other room or something like that. And yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I I but I stand by my 10 out of 10. So let's get into a very interesting guest that tomato for this episode. Guess that tomato. That's where I challenge the guest to correctly identify the audience rating of your movie of choice on Rotten Tomatoes. Now we had a little curveball here. Because you watched them. How did you watch the movie? You said on, on Voodoo? Voodoo. Voodoo. Yes, I own it on Voodoo. So apparently, and I didn't know this, Voodoo displays the Rotten Tomato score. Yes, right in the liner. So, like, I literally just went through my movies. I clicked on Ghostbusters, and right on that first screen, right before you hit play, it just says Tomato Meter 97 for the, you know, the score or whatever. And rather than take a victory, you decided to do the honorable thing. You reached out and you said, listen, we got a little bit of an issue. I've been on your show. I know you do this. And I already know the score. Now, luckily, the 97 is the critic score. Yes. And we're testing if you can guess the audience score. So you do kind of already have a hint. But as we've discussed many, many times, the critic score and the audience score usually have no connection whatsoever. So true. So let's see, Rocco, on a scale of zero to 100, what do you think the audience score is for uh, Ghostbusters on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to say 89. 89. Okay. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three movies that are within 2% plus or minus. Uh, of this movie score and season three, we're doing things a little differently and we're going to break those three movies up into the good, the bad and the ugly. So starting with the good onward, what makes this movie good? This movie is the perfect combination of fantasy animation, love adventure and character development. And is probably one of my favorite movies in the last three years. Uh, it's a great it? movie. Yeah. It's a great Phen movie. If you're a D and D fan, that's a phenomenal movie. And I so cried funny. like, oh, my God, oh, I bawled I like a baby. Yeah. Uh, the bad, the orange years, the Nickelodeon story. What makes this bad? 
How about how old I feel after watching this? Sure, there's great nostalgia feeling there for a little while, but the first time one of those child actors gets on screen as an adult and you're forced to come face-to-face with your own mortality and it's all covered in green slime, yeah, that's bad. I did not watch that. (laughs) Oh, you should. It's great. And lastly, The Ugly, 1917. What makes this ugly? The unbelievably realistic depiction of World War I and the chilling single-frame approach that makes you feel like a voyeur watching a boy come to grips with the reality of war. Jesus. That's also a movie we covered in Season 2. So if you're wanting to know the thoughts on that movie, go back and check that out. Now, Rocco, there's a secondary hint hidden in there. Do you want to change your guess? Secondary hint hidden Um, fudge, fudge. I, honestly, no. I I I don't want to change my guess. I don't. You, you said eighty nine, correct? I said eighty nine. Ugh. So the secondary hint is that. Uh, if you go back and listen to Critical Mass from many, many months ago when I was on there, we played a similar game with Goonies. And 1917 was one of the movies that yes. there. So if you remember what that score was, this should be relatively easy. You said 89. I totally don't remember. What that <laughs> <laughs> I did it last night. It was oh, last God. night. You said My 89. The correct answer for Ghostbusters is... Eighty-eight. You're uh, off by one. That's that. That's close enough. There's always plus or minus two, right? That's close enough. I I'm I feel good to be right there with the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a relatively high score. I mean, ninety-seven from critics. That's insane. I've never seen a score that high from critics. Um, any, anything else you want to discuss about Ghostbusters? Um, just that, like, I don't know. It's such a stupid concept that made a home in, in like so many people's hearts. And I think that they're really, I think that just seeing the trailers of afterlife, like I'm going to probably, uh, I just found that the tickets are on sale. So I think I'm going to get my tickets um, after we're done recording here. Um, yeah. But, I'll have to see when it hits theaters. Uh, I mean, what is that like next week or something? And two no, weeks, two weeks, two weeks from today. It hits theaters. Um, so I'll be going opening night. And I think that based on the trailers that I saw, based on the tremendous amount of respect I have for Paul Rudd and the fact that they are um, that his son, Jason Reitman, is is doing this movie. Um, I really think that they're going to nail it. Um, and. I think that they know what this movie means to people like the first movie um, because it's so ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous concept. Have you read anything about it? Like as far as like, have you seen any early ratings or what, what uh, you know, early, early showings are saying? Yeah. So a lot of people are saying like, if you're here for the nostalgia of the first movie, like you're going to get it. Oh, good. Um, But they're, you know, there are people that like always have take issues with it. Like, Oh yeah, it was, this was just for the fans. Well, I mean, that's what it should be for. Like, I, I love that. It's just for the fans. I hope it's just for the fans. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, 
I just love like the trailer where she's holding the trap and he's and Paul Rudd, her teacher, is like, is this is this real? Right. And then like it like zaps and he like drops it on the ground and he's like explaining to her about what happened in New York City and um the Great Rift or whatever it was. Um, you know, and I don't know, man. I can't wait to see this movie and I hope it lives up to everything that I need it to be. <laughs> I think Paul Rudd is such a great comedic actor. I, I don't he's not a comedian. I can't he, I think he would bomb at stand up, but he, as a comedic actor, he's amazing. He is he is so so funny. He is. And a lot of people don't know this and you either love or you hate I found, but Paul Rudd in the final season or final two seasons of Friends. I don't know if you've watched it. Yeah, he plays the uh, the boyfriend, Phoebe's boyfriend, Phoebe's right? boyfriend, yeah, Mike. And I think he's so funny in that. He added such a great element to that already established group. To have that established group right. of people for so many years in the show Friends and then add Paul Rudd and not even skip a beat. Like to me just incredible. So like just what he can do him and his Ant-Man um and then now Ghostbusters I don't think there's anything you do wrong and he doesn't age. He doesn't ever age. It's it's freakish really. It, it, it is. It, it truly is. Um, someone held a picture of him like back in the day and then like a picture of him now. And they're like, somehow he looks younger now. <laughs> it, it's weird. Uh, so before I let you go, Rocco, as you know, it's a firm belief of the owners who don't forget a towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it may not be comic books and movies, maybe it's catching ghosts and, you know, dousing yourself in, in Marshmallow Man. So uh, what is it you're geeking on right now? Oh, wow. Um I I have to say, uh, and this is just anything, just anything. anything I'm, yep, anything you're geeking out on. Uh, right now, I just uh, finished on uh, Dark Knights of Steel number one. It's a comic book, and uh, if you are a fan of DC and if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, you should be watching this. So imagine Game of Thrones, but it's all the DC characters. So the House of oh L. God, um, is this new? Yeah, it just dropped Tuesday, uh, number one. It's called. Uh, Dark Knights of Steel. I am writing so, this down. I have, this so, is the first time I'm hearing of this, and it sounds like the perfect orgasm for my eyes. So no, no spoilers because I won't do that to you. But like, there's the House of L, which I'm sure you can you can tell who th- that house is. Right. There's the there's the House of Green. Um, in the House of L, they have the Black Knight, uh, the Dark Knight that um protects uh their the the young prince of the House of L. Oh He's my his protector. god! Um, there's the court jester Harlequin. There's oh yeah, dude. It's it's what the the mystical archer in the woods. Is this like a um, mini series? Like, is it only going to be so many issues, or is it twelve is issues? It on, twelve issues. I am it's, I am getting all of these. I'm going to the comic book store right now. You should. Um, but number one is out. Um, I did get the uh, the cover A plus. I got the variant cover, which is like um, a knight on a horse but the knight is in knight armor and it's very obvious that it's batman oh um, my god so Wait, that's it's the, batman i'm just kidding yeah the variant cover but yeah it's uh th- they really change the dc story as you know and i mean even more so than the fact that they're in like medieval times mm-hmm. i mean like there is a drastic change that is revealed in the first book um that to the story that you know 
mm-hmm. and it is very much like Game of Thrones. Like when you like the first book, I was like, okay, so like they're really going for that Game of Thrones piece, but I didn't care because it was so good. I don't know if you know this. It's it's well documented that I am a Batman fan and a DC fan. No. And, uh, yeah. I don't want to ruin your image of me. Um, but I am, I, I might be even more so a game of Thrones fan. I wow. have. Yeah. I've watched the TV series at least three times all the way through. I've, uh, I don't, I don't read. I do the audiobooks. I've listened to the audiobooks twice all the way through. Um, I, I love game of Thrones. I think it's the most well done TV show we've had. And, you know, people hate on the final season and I'm not going to lie. The final season wasn't like my ideal picture, perfect ending, but I thought it was good. I didn't mind it. it. The only thing that I didn't like that I flat out didn't like and and no spoilers is Arya's impact on one of the major storylines. I didn't, I didn't like that. And that's all I'll say, but, um, that's cool, That's man. That, that sounds awesome. Anything else that you're geeking out on? Um, let's see. Dark Knights of Steel and um, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else because mostly all I do is read comics. Uh, if I'm not podcasting, <laughs> no, I get it, man. I mean, and um, this it's, it's like poop. Don't force it, okay? No, it's okay. Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, that's really the biggest thing. Like, I I'm consuming probably like. 10 comics in the Batman world a week. Um, so, you know, this is just the newest one. I've been waiting for this one for a while. So I definitely, definitely suggest it that. And, um, Batman reptilian is pretty good. If you haven't um, read that yet, that's, um, you know, there is a reptile like creature in Gotham and it is not only maiming villains, but like just killing them outright. So a lot of his rogues gallery is just absolutely killed. Wow. And Batman's Batman's going through the city trying to figure out who is doing this. Um, that's really dark. It's really twisted. It's definitely it's a black series or not black series, black label um, book. So it's definitely um, there's a lot of gore in there, um, but it's it's that pretty good. good though. I'll have to check that yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, the only thing I really got going on is uh, we, me and a couple friends of mine, we, I mentioned this on the podcast before, we developed this kind of disc golf tournament almost where we try to play once a month at a different course and we keep track of, you know, scores and we award points and so on. Um, Saturday is our last game of the season. We're actually traveling like an hour away to go to a distant course. And I'm pretty stoked. Um, there's no chance of me taking first place, but I'm in a very heated back and forth with second place. So uh, we'll have to see. So my focus is kind of there right now. Um, but other than that, I'm actually recording a lot, trying to get a head start on season three. So I've been binging quite a few movies. If you guys follow me on Letterboxd, you have a good understanding of uh, what's coming up this season. That's probably your only way of figuring out uh, before I announce on, on the socials uh, what's coming out is if you follow me on Letterboxd, you can kind of see what I'm watching. I, I log all the movies I watch there. Um other than that, man, Twitter, Gutsy Media, Instagram, Gutsy Media Podcast, Facebook, at Gutsy Media Podcast. Uh, Rocco, tell the people what you guys got going on. Where can we find you? Um, Critical Mass Podcast can be found at Critical Mass Podcast 69 on Facebook because we're children. Um, <laughs> you can find us um, on Twitter at, at Critical Mass Pod. 
You can find us on um, Instagram, uh, Critical Mass Podcast, I think, there. Um, we're on anywhere you podcast, we're there. Um, the show is trash. Um, but it's, it's, it's tasty trash. It's like garbage plates. That's fair. You know, that's fair. Um, we talk about everything from politics to what's going on in the world today to pop culture to just really we have our finger on on the pulse of what's happening right now um and we had you on our last episode which you'll know months from now <laughs> that that had happened and we <laughs> well, talked go about back the in time and listen to it it was a great episode we had a lot of fun i love being on the show uh you guys have such a harmonious rapport uh it's just it's great that the quality of friendship that really seeps out when you guys you know talk to each other and, and embrace each other. It's, it's sweet, really. Honestly, the story, I, I have to tell you how this even this podcast even happened is Dan and I lived together and um, it got to a point where like, you know, I couldn't live there anymore financially speaking, but that was probably really great for our friendship <laughs> that like I moved out. And then, like, the way we spoke to each other just kind of continued. And if anyone knows, we're not exactly friendly to one another all the time. <laughs> and uh, one of our friends was like, oh, my God, you guys should have a podcast. Like, it would be hilarious. And we were like, you think so? And we did. We started it up. And uh, we have a great listener base. And I, I'm to this day, I can't believe it. I'm appreciative of it. Well, I need the name of that friend that suggested it so that we can, uh, you know, put a hit out on him. Um, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Dude, I had a blast, man. Anytime. I love being here. <laughs>